The Wiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. All right, folks, welcome on back to Baseball History 101. As always, I'm Patrick Gavalt, and I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Matthew Carter. Hey. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the 1993 Major League Baseball expansion draft. And the expansion teams and everything that came there yep. with the whole deal. Um, I appreciate y'all listening to us as always. Our last few episodes have been really good and we're really appreciating the growth. Mm-hmm. And if there's any suggestions for what we can do better, as always, you can send me to baseballhis101 at gmail.com and we will address them as soon as we can get to them. Because we both work full-time jobs, so we get to them as soon as we can. Yeah. You know. Um, but Matthew, where do you want to start off on the 1993 expansion? So, this was a big expansion. Well, okay, not not like the 1969 expansion, but this was a fairly noteworthy expansion. It involved two teams, the Colorado Rockies and the Florida Marlins. And basically, the whole talk of expanding again was around 1985 with the players and owners agreed to a new collective bargaining agreement, which, you know, the nightmare that was the collective bargaining agreement this, this past offseason, I don't really want to get into. But anyway, that's near here or there. And the basic agreement allowed the National League to expand to two members to match the American League because in 1977, the American League expanded with the Seattle Mariners and the Toronto Blue Jays. So that way, to have... The National League expanded to two teams, allowed them to go from like 26, you know, go for the MLB to go 26 teams to 28 teams, and then to have like, a, I guess, a balanced leagues, you know, teams. And so the details of the expansion were hammered out in the 1990 CBA as well. I'm a big fan of the cities that they considered. Mm-hmm. Um, Buffalo, Charlotte, Denver, Miami, Nashville, Orlando, Phoenix, Sacramento, Tampa, and D.C. Um, and Nashville, that's kind of relevant now because Nashville, they got, I forget who it was, it was pony up money to bring a team to Nashville. Oh, uh, D- Dave Stewart. Yeah, well, Dave Stewart. Oh, he says he has that. enough people want to put up a billion dollars to bring a team to Nashville. Isn't that the number? Yeah, somewhere around there. And then, of course, you know, the A's thinking about moving to Vegas, and then some people want to throw Nashville in the mix, which, yeah. That'd be a tough crowd because you got all those Brave fans. Right. Yeah, it's, hard, it's tough to get the Braves. And then the farther north you get in Tennessee, you get into Reds and Cards fans, you know? But. Yeah. And so, and of course, you know, the, the dome, where, well, now it's called Tropicana Dome, but then it was the Florida Suncoast Dome. That was built specifically in 1990, was built specifically to bring a major league team to. Tampa, St. Pete area. But, of course, we'll get into that when we do an episode of the 98 expansion. And Pilot Field in Buffalo, where the Buffalo Bisons AAA minor league team plays, you know, they when they built that in 1988 with the owners of the Bisons, which I think was the the, the Rich family who owns Rich uh, Dairy Products. They built that with the, specifically to try to lure a baseball MLB team to Buffalo. And, of course, you know, the expansion committee had Everybody's favorite Mets owner, Fred Wilpon. I'm joking, of course. Houston Astros owner, John McMullen, and Pirates chairman, Doug Danford. <laughs> and so they cut the list down to six. They eliminated, in, in December of 1990, they cut the list down to six cities. They got they got rid of Charlotte, Nashville, Phoenix, Sacramento. And they got three sites in Florida remaining, obviously, Tampa, St. Pete, Orlando, and Miami. But it came apparent 
that only one would win out while the other spot would go to a non-Florida team. So I get, you know, so they're like, okay, so even though we got three Florida finalists, we only got to pick one. We're not going to put two teams in Florida, like nationally teams in Florida. That's just ridiculous. And so, you know, that was under consideration. And, you know, both Denver and Miami were really high, really pining to get the two expansion teams. And so in June 91, the expansion committee accepted the bids of the Miami and Denver groups to debut in 1993. And the expansion was approved unanimously by all teams in July 91. So both Denver and Miami beat out everybody else, you know, with, which, you know, with just, you know, for, um, oh, what's the word I want to use? Like, fer- like fervent, uh, for lack of a better term, like really just pushing it, like really selling themselves, saying, hey, we think we're going to be really good for We this. have a large market, and we think we can bring you the best attendance mm-hmm. and fan atmosphere kind of deal. Right, because there was no, at the time, there was no major league teams in Colorado or in Florida, right? And so, you know, like everything, especially – with college going off the subject with college football expanding and all that in the SEC, everybody's looking for media markets. They're looking for new media markets to expand their brand. Dollar bills pay the bills. Right. You know, that's why Georgia Tech's never come back to the SEC because there's already a media market with Georgia. So anyway, get off the subject. But anyway, so they look at that and go, you know what? You know, obviously it's proven in Miami and, and Florida in general because spring training's held there. You know, at the time the there's Orioles, a market for Bowling. Right, there's a market. The Orioles free train in Miami for many, many years at Miami Stadium. So there's a huge market for for baseball. And then, of course, Denver had the minor league Denver Bears, which later became the Denver Zephyrs, and that drew good crowds. So there's they both have rich baseball history traditions, you know, in each, in each city. So to them, I guess the National League, it was just a no-brainer to get these guys. Dude, and these teams have tried before to get teams there, or these cities. Yeah. Um, like in Denver, for example, they had previous attempts to bring the game there, and the Pirates were close to relocating to Denver <laughs> after the Pittsburgh drug trials. And for those of y'all that don't know what that is, it was a um, it was a catalyst in Major League Baseball for cocaine. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a guy named Dave Barra, Lee Lacey, Lee Mazzilli, John Milner, Dave Parker, Rod Scurry, and a bunch of other guys. Keith Fernandez. Um, yeah, they were. And uh, oh, Keith Fernandez, Willie yeah. Atkins, Vita Blue, even um, Tim Raines. Yeah. They were called before a Pittsburgh Grand Jury, and um, there was a drug trial that was made national in 85. Yeah, it was bad. And 11 players were suspended, but they were all commuted in exchange for fines, drug testing, community service. You know? yeah. but the drug trials are considered one of the biggest all-time baseball scandals, which is something we could really get into on a later episode. Yeah, that could be a good episode. But yeah. after that, like they were actually thinking about relocating the team just because of that issue. Because I guess it appears, I guess the Pirates ever should felt embarrassed by it. That'd be my guess. But I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad they're still in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, and then in the late '80s, it seemed like it was a possibility to have a team in Denver. Yeah. Um, but the Colorado Baseball Commission, led by a banking exec by the name of Larry Barnell, got the Denver voters to vote for a 0.1% sales tax to help finance the new stadium. And an advisory advisory advisor advisory. I struggle with that word every yeah. time. In nineteen ninety by Governor Roy Romer to recruit an ownership group. And um an Ohio, Ohio beverage distributor, John Antonucci and Michael Amonis and the head of the far more drugstore chain. Local and regional companies such as Erie Lake, Hensel Phelps Construction, KOA Radio, Rocky Mountain News, they just banded together. And then Eugene Orza, Associate General Counsel of the Major League Baseball PA, they thought they would get a franchise. So it, it took a team effort to draw a team there. Yeah, and then for and years of effort, right? Now and for for Florida, 
basically U.S. Senator Connie Mack III, which was the grandson of Connie Mack. Uh, and he, and he that also, name keeps coming up, doesn't it? Keeps coming up. Didn't plan on it. Didn't plan on mentioning Connie Mack today. Um, he basically pushed Commissioner Faye visit to expand in Florida. So I guess because he was powerful because he was a U.S. Senator as well as a member of the Senate Task Force on Major League Baseball, he's like, hey, we sh- you should really consider expanding to Florida. And so they did. Yeah. And let's see. So and then so we get to the team names. The Denver ownership group chose to call their franchise the Colorado Rockies, which was the same name that was used by the NHL franchise in Denver, which played from nineteen seventy six to nineteen eighty two. So there was a there for the NHL fans out there, I'm sure you all know, that there was an NHL team in Denver before the Colorado Avalanche. It was the Colorado Rockies. And so they're like, well, let's just name the team after the old hockey team. You know, why not? You know, the Rocky Mountains, you know, it makes sense. The Miami group chose to call the team the Florida Marlins to broaden their fan base to the entire state while reviving the nickname of a defunct minor league team, which, you know, the Miami, the Miami Marlins played in Miami for many years, both in AAA as well as single A. And like Satchel Page played for the Miami Marlins in the 50s, trying to get back to Major League Baseball, among other things. So, you know, it made perfect sense. Like, okay, Marlins, if there's, you know, you can fish Marlins off the coast of Florida, you know. And so, and so now, and then, so they set the expansion draft for both franchises in November of 1992. All right. And so, you fast forward to 92. And just like, you know, all the other drafts, like the 69, we talked about the 1969 expansion draft. They do the expansion draft for 92. And so let's talk, you know, so in contrast, so I guess a little bit different than the other drafts. In contrast to previous expansion drafts, players from both the American and National League were available in the, to the expansion clubs. So... You know, I guess before that, you know, if you were in the American League, like if you were a special American League team, you would only get to American players, like other American League players. And if you were a National League, you would only get National League players. But since it was just two National League teams, they were just like, okay, anybody from the American or National League, they're available. You know, if you want to draft these guys, go for it. Each existing club could protect 15 players on their 40-man roster from being drafted and only one player could be drafted from each team in each round. At the end of each round, National League teams could protect an additional three players, and AL teams could deck an additional four. I'm sorry, protect an additional four. To further protect the AL teams, a maximum of eight AL teams could have three players chosen. Okay, and all unprotected MLB and minor league players were eligible except those chosen in the amateur drafts 91-92. So, like any hot prospects for 9192, they were ineligible for the expansion draft, right? Which is probably a good thing, <laughs> you know, because he spent a lot of money on those hot draft picks, you know, in 9192. You know, right? And play, and also, and players who were 18 or younger went signed in 1990. So, like Chipper Jones, you know, he was not eligible for that because he was 18 in 1990, and he got drafted in 90. So they're like, no. You're, you're not going to be a Marlin or a Rocky. You're going to still be a Brave. I'm not sure how many hockey fans we have to listen to this, but I bet they wish this last expansion draft with the Knights, they had done it the way baseball did this one. Because mm-hmm. the Knights got really good as we've... They went to the Santa Cup in their first year. They went to, who does that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a baseball and a hockey fan. I, and yeah. a college football fan. Everybody else can... And also, players who were free agents after the 92 season were not eligible for the draft. The Rockies and Marlins, however, were not restricted in offering contracts to free agents. So they couldn't draft free agents after the 92 season, but they could offer them contracts. So I'm like, well, that's fair. You know. But let's say, uh, name me a name from that time period. Uh, Shit. Well, I got you one. The Rockies... Signed their first free agent, Andres Galarraga. That's the name I was looking for right yeah. there. To a one-year contract. I love him as a brave. Yeah. So they signed him to a one-year contract the day before the expansion draft. So they just went off the bat. They're like, all right, we're going to one up the Marlins, and we're going to get Andres Galarraga, who was with the Expos at the time, I believe. 
You know, he started with the Expos, and now, and you know, that was one of the biggest names they got. So well, I'm going to share a little personal experience on this one. Okay. Andres Galarraga. My first professional baseball I got into, it was the Boston Red Sox versus the Atlanta Braves. Mm -hmm. I loved to know Mark Oshapar growing up. Mm -hmm. Great shortstop. I wore his batting gloves when he had the Louisville contract. You know, like, first Braves game, Turner Field. Andres Galarraga hits a home run. Oh, perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, like. Andres Galarraga was the man. He was that. That's when he had that hot streak with the Braves. Right after he got released from Colorado and got signed there. Yeah. Awesome. First major league. First major league ball game. Coke bottle in Atlanta. If y'all been there at the old Turner Field. Yeah. Watch the old Turner Field. Just yeah. Turner Field. It's just Turner Field. Yeah. I'm, I'm acting like it's Fulton County. <laughs> but, uh, you know the fireworks go out the coke bottle, man. Yeah. And that's that's I'll never forget, man. Because you never forget your first game in a major major league stadium. No, I mean mine was July twentieth, nineteen ninety nine, at Turner Field. Braves played the Brewers, and it was my aunt's birthday, and she was there with my cousins and my step uncle. Yeah, right. it was great. You know, it was a great memory. You know, I don't remember the date, but I remember I was really excited to see Chipper. I was really excited to see Nomar. I was wearing some cheesy ass Walmart Kmart chipper jersey, you know, like. But still, it's awesome, man. Yeah, it's you never forget your first time at a major league ball game. No, you don't. Never. Yeah. But back to the draft. <laughs> so as we said, you know, Rockies just, you know, went went and splashed and said, "We want you, Andres," and he said, "Okay." So the draft order was determined by a coin toss. The winner of which could choose either A to, which they could choose either A the first overall pick in the expansion draft, and the twenty eighth and last pick in the first round of the ninety three amateur draft, or B allow the other team to pick first and receive both the second and third overall expansion draft picks, the right to pick first in the subsequent rounds of the expansion draft, and the twenty seventh and next to last overall pick in ninety three MLB amateur draft. Colorado won the toss and chose to pick first overall. I can see that. So they're already beating the Marlins by getting one, a big name free agent signing, and two, pick first in the 92 inch draft. Yeah. I love how it was in New York, sort of on camera, and it was just tied by a coin toss. Yeah. That's awesome. The first three rounds were televised on ESPN. So there you go. And so, so that's cool, man. Yeah. The first pick of the. With their first pick of the 92, well, the 92 expansion draft for the 93 season, the Rockies picked, uh, no, I can't talk. The Rockies pick, picked um, pitcher David Need, N-I-E-D, who had a 3-0 win-loss record with a 1.17 ERA and six MLB appearances with the Braves. And the Marlins' first selection was Nigel Wilson, who spent the, night, oops, sorry, who spent the 92 season with the Knoxville Smokies in the Southern League, in the Blue Jays organization, and he had no MLB experience. So they, so Rockies, right off the bat, they go with a guy who has some MLB experience, even though it was only like six appearances. But still, there's still MLB experience. And the Marlins go with a guy who didn't have any MLB experience. So that's interesting. So in total, the Rockies and the Marlins chose 41 pitchers with their combined 72 selections. So the majority of these guys were pitchers. Of the 72 chosen, 11 of them were all-stars during their career. Jack Armstrong, Brian Harvey, and Danny Jackson. Two guys I've, I've never heard of. Uh, they had been all-stars before the expansion draft. While Andy Ashby, Brad Ausmus, Vinny Castilla, Jeff Conine, Carl Everett, Joe Girardi... Harvey again, Trevor Hoffman, Jackson, and Eric Young became all-stars later on in their careers. And, of course, Hoffman would later be elected to the Hall of Fame in 2018. So that's interesting. Trevor Hoffman was a part of this 92, well, 93 expansion draft. That's something you learned. I learned something new today. You know, Trevor Hoffman went from that to getting to the Hall of Fame. And, and at one point being the all-time career saves leader before Mario Brennan passed him. Still, that's awesome, man. You learn something new every day, man. <laughs> Andy Ashby, brave, brave, yeah. Uh, Vinny Garcia, brave. brave. Uh, there was another one there, brave, yeah. 
That's really cool how it's not, it's not always some teams come back to Atlanta. Yeah. Because they just wheel and deal. You know, so of course, there's there's some names in this draft. Obviously, some of the guys we mentioned, obviously Trevor Hoffman, Brad Osmus was a catcher, played for the Houston Astros, you know, for a good number of years. And he was, he, recently he was, a few years ago, he was the Tigers manager, you know, and um, Joe Girardi, <laughs> you know, they recently removed Philly's manager, you know. Speaking of that, there was a really funny meme that ESPN put out the other day. It was like, Tuesday, two managers named Joe. Thursday, zero managers named Joe. I saw that. (laughs) And other than that. And I I love Joe Madden. I got to meet him when I was working for the Biscuits. Yeah. And they came through on their way. After spring training, they played the scrimmage game with the double-A team on their way up. North to play. I think they were open with the Yankees, but they stopped in Montgomery on their way. Yeah. And he's a fine man. He's a pleasure to talk baseball with. And uh, I hate he got fired, but you lose that many games in a row, man. This early in the season, you start that hot and something goes wrong. Yeah. They're now at 14 games and uh, 14 game losing streak. I bet on them tonight. They tried to. And if they lose tonight, I'm going to bet on them again tomorrow. They tried to change things up. They tried to break the streak. Last the night Nickelback with Nickelback, and I'm like, why? Hey, I mean, it's only weird if it doesn't work. I mean, it's not below the dance floor, but still, it's like, wow. It's just, you know what I'm saying? No, it's only weird if it doesn't work. Right? Yeah, you're right. And also, let's see. That's what's great about sports, man. Yeah, it's only weird if it doesn't work. Yeah. So, like I said, you know, the draft was interesting. There were some na- there were some guys that were names that we knew. You know, that I personally knew. But then there's a whole bunch of guys I had no idea who they were. Yeah. Yeah. The aftermath of the draft is what gets really interesting. Okay. Because there are older star players who left, were left unprotected. A uh, guy, Danny Tartable, Jack Morris, which is that's not quite a household name, but He's real baseball fans recognize it. Yeah. And um, Sean Dunstan, I remember him I remember as a kid. Yeah. On a, the only big games he used to break. But um, they weren't selected because they were had higher salaries and rolled, you know, and um, understandable. And because of the expansion draft, the Marlins were projected to have a higher payroll than the Rockies, which appeared to be four million at that time. Yeah, less than what the Mar- Marlins would pay a single guy they drafted, mm-hmm. Brad and Brian Harvey. But the Yankees challenged the ability of the draft on the basis that the Marlins did not compensate the Yankees for the loss of territory in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. which is where their minor league team was. And they attempted to revoke the assignment of Hayes and Brad Osmus to the Rockies and Everett to the Marlins, invoking the best interests of baseball (laughs) calls. The best interests of baseball calls. Does baseball even care about the best interests of baseball? No. Louis Coon didn't care. They care about the best interests of making effing money. Yeah, Rob Manfred doesn't care about the best interests of baseball. Oh, well, he's made that very apparent. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Rock, that, that's different. That's, that's yeah, different. We've already talked about him. And um, but Bud Selig and the Major League Executive Council affirmed the draft results. Yeah. But then I had three baseball season. The Marlins and Rockies <laughs> both finished last in their divisions. Uh, is anybody which surprised? is expected as an expansion team? Right. Your first year, you well, should be like that. Well, they, well, they did finish last. They both finished six out of seventeen. Oh, that was before they split it. You're yeah, right. They're right. both next to last, but still. That's before they split it into three divisions. Right. This was this was the last year of the two divisions. Right. And um, the Rockies were the first team to reach the playoffs out of the two. Yeah. The 95. I, I would really like to um, – we might have to follow back up on this with an episode here six months from now about how they filled out their minor league program. Yeah. I mean, you know, because – Because filling a major league roster and filling out a minor league roster are two different things. Because you got what? Six tiers of minor league, yeah, or five tiers. Right, but you got rookie, single A, yeah, high single A, double A. You got five <laughs> tiers before that, you know. Yeah, let me just. So that'd be a second episode. We need to do actual research on for that one. Right, but the Rockies were the first team to reach the playoffs using the roster developed through the expansion draft, and they won a wild card in '95. And it was a record for the shortest amount of time for an expansion team to make the playoffs in any sport. It was shocking. They lost to the Braves in the LDS. Yeah, the Diamondbacks uh, blew that in a different expansion that we might get to later. 
Yeah. Um. And the Marlins, they kept less players, and they they kept fewer players they selected in the expansion draft than the Rockies. The Rockies retained 13 from the draft, while the Marlins only maintained six. Conan, Jeff Conan, Mr. Marlin. Oh, yeah. Um, was the only player selected in the expansion draft on the Marlins' 97 World Series championship roster. The fact that you win a World Series, what, four years after you become franchise? He's Mr. Awesome. Marlin. He's Mr. Marlin, yeah. Still is, to this day. Yeah. We had some guy that died in a boat and crash that could have been Mr. Martin. Mr. Marlin. Mr. Marlin. But. Oh, yeah. Know. Under Fernandez, yeah. That was sad. He's also having fun with some shenanigans and that kind of. Takes, yeah. away, takes away from my opinion of how sad it really is. Yeah, that's. When uh, you're hopped up on cocaine, it's a little. It's hard to be uh, sympathetic. Absolutely. But anyway, so do you want to talk about the teams? I mean, like, let's get into it. We're so, done with the draft. Let's get back to the teams. So the no, sorry, yeah, we're going to start with the Colorado Rockies because you know let's do this alphabetically, and obviously they were really aggressive in getting players. It's to me, it seemed like they were more aggressive getting players than the Marlins. They wanted to win. They wanted to win, and it proved it two years later. But you know, that's here, 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 there. So. Yeah. Right, so remember, you remember before we get into this, you remember the cutoff sleeve jerseys they rocked that one year in the nineties? Oh yeah, the Rockies had the coolest ones out of all of them. The little tank top jerseys, mm-hmm. the Rockies had the best ones. Yeah, but um, you know, so you know the ninety three Rockies. So not only did they draft a bunch of guys and sign. Um, Andres Galarraga. I think the day of the draft, they traded with the Brewers, I guess their draft picks, for Dante Bichette, who was the dad of Bo Bichette of the Toronto Blue Jays. So, and Dante Bichette, you know, that that trade worked out wonders for them because Dante Bichette made a name for himself with the Rockies, along with Andres Galarraga and all those guys in 93. So that worked out wonders for <laughs> That was a trade that worked out wonders. And, of course, you know, when we talked about the 69 expansion teams, the year before they started, they they were able to have a couple of farm teams. Same thing with the Rockies. In 92, they had a short-season single-A team in Bend, Oregon, called the Bend Rockies in the Northwest League. And they had a rookie league team in Arizona, the Arizona Rockies slash Cubs, which I guess in the Arizona League, which I guess they shared it with the Cubs, which that's the affiliation was shared with the Cubs. So that's interesting. You don't see a lot of that. You know, and their first manager was Don Baylor, who was a good, good major league player in his own right, with the Orioles and Angels and some other teams. He's a guy that's probably a borderline Hall of Famer. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, he was pretty good both managing and, excuse me, as well as playing. But I think he's a guy that's probably borderline. Uh, yeah, I mean, like there would be some consideration for sure. Maybe veterans committee one day or. Yeah, so. And they played their games at Mile High Stadium, which was, well, I guess the original Mile High Stadium, which was where the Denver Broncos of the NFL played. So John Elway, you know, they got big name for them. And not only that, that's also where the minor league Denver Bears slash Denver Zephyrs played. So it was used as a baseball. They used it as a baseball stadium before the Rockies came. So... Car, like whoever ran the Mile High Stadium knew what they were doing and making the field, but it was still huge. It was it's a it, it was a big stadium for baseball. Like, you know, you think part of that was because the atmosphere and the ball flies farther and used to be bigger. That was probably the same. I, I would agree with that. I remember the home run derby in Colorado, and they were just launching them. Yeah, what was that 99, 98? 98 was for the 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 All-Star Home Run Derby and All-Star team that year. Yeah. Yeah, because 99 was in Fenway. Yeah, 99 was in Fenway. The year before that was Colorado. Yes, 98 right. was in Colorado, yeah. Okay. Because we talked, we mentioned that in the McGuire Associates episode. And so, Mile High Stadium had a big capacity. I wish I could remember what it was. But, like, you know, because of the big capacity, as well as being a new expansion team, and, you know, 
being, you know, just new. Okay, so at the time of the Rockies played there, the capacity of Mile High Stadium was 76,273 people, which is huge. I mean, for a baseball stadium, that's huge. That's old Mile High. That's old Mile High Stadium, not the new empowered field at Mile High Stadium, where it was called now. So this helped them big time in the attendance. They finished first in the league in attendance with 4,483,350 fans. This proved that Denver and Colorado was ready for Major League Baseball. Now, and of course, the team wasn't like, you know, like all Spanish teams, they weren't very good. They finished 67 and 95 on the year, six in the National League West. But then, I mean, but again, people weren't expecting that. You know, people were expecting that. But they had some name players. Obviously, Galarraga did well. Dude hit. This is something you don't see very often. Dude had a 370 batting average with 22 home runs, 98 RBIs in in 120 games. I mean, sure, he only played 120 games because probably his injury. But dude, like you hit 370. Imagine if he had played full 162. Right. I mean that. I mean he was he'd be reaching like you know Roger Swanson numbers, man. I mean like obviously he played a full 162 like. Those right. are, that's a Hall of Fame season if yeah. you play 162. Like, that puts you on the mark. That makes you a lot of damn money. Yeah. And he had a, I mean, he had a great year. 403 on base percentage, 602 slugging. And of course, you know, playing Denver helps. But he had a great year. I'm like, dude, 370? 370? 370. <laughs> yeah. Because, I, and, you know, and Galarago, you know. And then, of course, Joe Girardi, the late, uh, well, I shouldn't say late. He's not dead. But the former the former former Yankees former Phillies manager yeah. currently on the on the pink slip on the right. unemployment line. He was a catcher for that ninety three team. He had ninety hits. He hit two ninety. You know, three home runs. And of course, Vinny Castilla, who early on tried to lead, tried to race Mark McGuire in that uh, ninety eight home run race before he fell apart. He fizzled out. We talked about that in a previous episode. Yeah. He fizzled out, man. Yeah, he fizzled out. He only played hundred five games, eighty six hits, three hundred thirty seven bats, nine home runs, thirty RBIs, two fifty five. Still aren't bad numbers for that amount of game. Yeah, you know, especially in that time period. And Dante Bichette in one hundred forty one games, one hundred sixty seven hits. 43 doubles, 21 home runs, 89 RBIs, hit 310. So you're getting, you know, you're getting some good players that are going to lead up to the 95 season where they make the playoffs. And Don Baylor was the manager then too. So, you know, Baylor's still with the team. And here's the part that some people may or may not remember. Legendary Braves outfielder and borderline Hall of Famer. Some people believe he should be in the Hall of Fame. Dale Murphy, 93 was his last season. He was with the Rockies. He played 26 games. I'm sorry. Yeah, he played 26 games. They signed him as a free agent? I think they, I think they, I think he was with the Phillies and they traded him during okay. the season. Let me go back. Yeah, so, no, I take that back. No, he, he, I guess he signed as a free agent later on. But he only played like 26 games and by then he was done. You know. But still, some people don't remember, like, wait a minute, Dale Murphy was a Rocky? Even when I didn't was, know that. When, even when he was with he's, the, known as a, he's known he's as known a Atlanta Brave. Right. Even when he was with the Phillies, people were like, wait a minute, Dale Murphy was a Philly? But, you know, he he had six hits and 42 at-bats and hit, like, 143 in 26 games. So his, his he, he was near the end of the line of his career. So one thing I forgot to mention, going back to Galarraga, his 370 average led the National League. He was a bang champ that year. Is that something? You don't mm-hmm. you don't you don't when you think of um, I mean obviously you're gonna get good players, but when you think of expansion teams, you don't think of any of them leading the league in anything that first year, you know? But man, right. that's But they used um, they used their draft picks wisely. Yeah. Apparently. They loot they yes, they used their draft picks wisely and they were aggressive in getting players, as we've mentioned before. And they knew what they were doing. You know. They got jump on the Marlins, as far as I'm concerned, in that in getting players. But the Marlins got the jump on them in championships. <laughs> right, yeah, which we'll get to. 
And of course, the pictures on the teams. So let's see. So as I mentioned, David Need was the first draft pick for the Colorado Rockies that year. He went five and nine on the year. And, you know, in 16 games, he went five and nine with a 5.17 ERA, which it's not great, obviously, but again, you're playing in Colorado. It's your ERA is not going to be great. It's a tough place to pitch. It's a tough place to pitch. In if I was a pitcher and I got drafted by Colorado, yeah. I'd be like, uh, I hope I maneuver my way up yeah. to the minor leagues and they feed me to somewhere <laughs> sea level. Yeah. And they, you know, walked 42 guys, struck out 46. The guy who led the team in wins was Armando Reynoso. Excuse me. I thought I mentioned that name before, too. Yeah. And he went 12 wins, 11 losses with a 4 0 0 ERA, which I guess the main starting pitchers that led the main starting pitcher, he had low CRE among the five starting pitchers that year. In 30 games, through four complete games out of 30 with no shutouts, 189 innings pitched, struck out, uh, sorry, walked 63, struck out 117. So he also led the starters in strikeouts too. He led team strikeouts. Now I take it back. Bruce Ruffin led the team strikeouts with uh, 126, but he led all the starters with 117. And let's see. You know, Darren Holmes led the team in saves with 25. He was their closer. He also had a 3 3 record. You know, then they used Andy Ashby. Poor Andy Ashby went 0 4 on the year in 20 games. You got a save, though. You did get a save. Me and my dad, when Andy Ashby was playing for the Braves, used to joke on him because he always wore his hat real tall on his head. And yeah. in the back, he had a little. He really just literally sat his head on his head in the back of the crater. Oh, but so yeah. it's the Ashby crater. So I mean, my dad thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so their first game in Colorado was April 9th. They're playing the Montreal Expos. As we talked about the attendance, it was big. I mean, it sold out. Eighty thousand twenty two hundred twenty seven people. Eighty thousand two hundred twenty seven people were there to witness Major League Baseball's welcoming and welcome Major League Baseball to Colorado. And they won that game 11-4. to Another thing that I forgot to mention, baseball lifer Don Zimmer was the third base coach on the team. Isn't that something? Don, Don Zimmer was everywhere, man. <laughs> you know, he, among other people, he is the, he was, is the definition of a baseball lifer. That man... You know, he did it all, man. He played in the major leagues. He managed. He coached. He did it all. He did it all. He stayed in there. First base coach, third base coach, bench coach, manager. Right. Player. He stayed there. Hitting coach. You know, he he kept being in baseball. Probably started off cleaning cleats. Yeah, you know. He he stayed in baseball well into his 80s. And God bless him. You know, I miss him. But, man, just... One of those things you're like, man, Don Zimmer was. Got tossed by A Rod. Got tossed by A Rod. No, Pedro. Pedro Pedro, that's it. Pedro Pedro Martinez, yeah. So the guy's been everywhere, you know. And of course, the Rockies, after that 93 season, they had that success in 95. And then 2007, you know, they make it to the World Series. And then they lost in four straight to the Red Sox. And they have not been back to the World Series since. They made other playoff appearances. They've had great stars like Nolan Arenado, who is now with Patrick St. Louis Cardinals, and I'm sure Patrick is happy about that. How did you feel when Arenado got traded to the, the Cardinals? I wasn't butthurt about it. Wait, what? I wasn't butthurt about it. No, no. <laughs> and, of course, Mr. Rocky Todd Helton later played with the, came on and became you know, a star with the team. Hopefully he gets in the Hall of Fame soon. If he does, he'll definitely wear a Rockies hat because it's the only team to play for. I'll never forget Larry Walker. Larry Walker, yes. Um, I was with my parents on a vacation in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Because I, and um, that's where I became a Cardinals fan, is this vacation. Yeah. We went up there, we went and did the Arch, did all the Zoom, and all the St. Louis things you do. And it was Larry Walker's first day 
in the middle of the game, they announced, we just signed Larry Walker from the Colorado Rockies <laughs> in a trade for yada, 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 yada. Yeah. And the guy comes out of center field like, he's not going to be playing center field next inning. We're bringing him in. And the next night, Larry Walker made his debut because he had us <laughs> on a train flight or a plane flight. Yeah, of course. But, um, yeah. Huh. Like, that's that a lot of those things, man. Like, game in St. Louis. So Taguchi was playing center field, made a couple errors. <laughs> the hometown fans, all in red, are booing. Of course. And my parents, man, uh, we wanted to sit. I wanted to sit in Big Mac, man. Big Mac land. Because I was a kid and I loved Mark McGuire. I'm like, well, you, we can just sit by the dugout. And I'm like, Big Mac land. You know? I don't sit by the dugout, but yeah. I'm Big Mac land. Big Mac land, yeah. I, gotta, I, gotta, I still have a uh, McDonald's sponsored hard hat. At my parents' house, blocks of my stuff, man. Like, yeah, big man, man. Mark McGuire, let's go. Yeah. Let's go, yeah. And but yeah, yeah Larry Walker, another Rocky. And, yeah, he throw you out at first from right field, left field, doesn't matter where he's at. He's gonna throw you out at first if you're jogging. Yeah, he was one of the best, man. And he was great. I believe '95 was his first year there, so you know, had that addition along with Galarraga and Bichette and all those guys. You can see the Blake Street Bombers, what they called them. You know. But, uh, of course, you know, in 95, they moved into Coors Field, which I've never been, but, man, I really want to go. So my dad got to go. I got a Rockies hat in the closet right here. My dad went, and he was out there on a business trip. Yeah. And he's like, dude, sweet stadium. Even though it's an older stadium, it's a sweet stadium. This is 10 years ago, and they're still playing the same joint. Yeah. My favorite thing about the stadium is that at the mile high mark, they have a row of purple seats. The rest of them are black. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, Whoever designed that stadium, chef's kiss. Did a great job. Absolutely. A classic. Well, that's all i got to say about the Rockies. Do you have anything to add? Nothing. So let's move on to the Miami Marlins. I'm sorry. Well, Florida Marlins. We're going back 90. If we're going to be historically accurate, the Florida Marlins. I, my apologies, guys. Okay. Before we get into it. Yeah. Do you know Satchel plays? Satchel Page played for the Miami Marlins. Yes, the minor league Miami Marlins. Yeah, Triple A. He's there from '56 to '58. That's a cool thing I learned today when doing my research. Yep. And they played a game. So they did. So the minor league Miami, the minor league Miami Marlins, played at a stadium called Miami Stadium, which was where the Orioles were trained for many years. And when Satchel, well, at least one of the games Satchel Page played in 1956, the interest was so big they moved the game from Miami Stadium to the Orange Bowl. The Orange Bowl, a football stadium, because they, the demand for tickets was so high. And of course, you know, so I mean, it set a record for so many people watching a baseball game, like a minor league game. But it's Satchel Page, when you when you, when somebody tells you that Satchel Page is going to play and pitch, you go you find come. you come. You know, even if it was the ghost of, even if Satchel Page came through the cornfield in the field of dreams, if somebody said something about it, you find a way to go to Iowa and see him. You know, if Satchel's there, you'll be there. Yeah, if Satchel's there, you go see him pitch. There is no, oh, I got like homework or oh, I got to work. No, you find a way to go see him. No, I feel like all the local school is like, hey, we'll excuse you today. Right. You know, like, yeah, look, Satchel Page is coming back from grade to pitch. I will go see him pitch. Because I'm sure he can still strike people out, even though he's a ghost. <laughs> I'd love if the um, that you know, that uh, video game the show would bring people like that into it. Yeah, and not make it so hard for you to unlock people like that. Like just yeah. you can play with the super team yeah. of all of these Hall of Famers. That'd be awesome. So I mean, and so the the Miami Marlins. Sorry. Florida Marlins, sir. The Florida Marlins. The black and the teal. The black and the teal. The classic Florida Marlins. First little league I ever played on. Florida Marlins. Nice. Or, I guess it was Patriot Park Marlins or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So, the owner of the Marlins was Wayne Huizinga, who owned Waste Management Recycling. And not only that, he was also the CEO of Blockbuster Video. I pay him money every Monday when they come pick up my bin. <laughs> yeah. Don't you just love, you know, man, who has great memories of Blockbuster Video? I'm not going to go off the subject, but... I've got a Blockbuster card in my drawer out there with my name on it. That's awesome. You know, that brings back childhood memories. 
But anyway, he was the first owner of the Marlins. And Dave Dombrowski, who is well-known throughout as, like, the Tigers GM and I think he was Red Sox he was a, He's been a lifelong GM. Lifelong mediocre GM. Yeah. He was the the first Joe manager. In my Marlins. opinion. I can't just praise Yeah. The, he was the first Joe manager of the Marlins. The first manager of the Marlins was, excuse me, Renee Latchman, who previously managed the Seattle Mariners and the Milwaukee Brewers. And he was also a major league player. He played for the Kansas City A's in the Oakland A's from 65 to 68. So, you know, former, and he won, in 1989, I guess he was a coach for the Oakland A's. He won a World, he won a World Series during them in 89. So that's cool. So the guy has, you know, he's got some managerial experience. He's got playing experience. He, he was a former major leaguer, you know. So 1993, so they play, their stadium was, at the time it was called Joe Robbie Stadium. That stadium has gone through so many names now. I I think it's called Hard Rock Stadium now. I remember it as Pro Player Stadium, and I still call it Pro Player yeah, Stadium. Yeah, Miami. The, yeah. The Dolphins. Yeah, and then it was uh, Landshark Stadium because of Buffett. Yeah, Sun Life I've Stadium. Got, I've got definitely, I think I got a Landshark Stadium, damn. Piece of metal. Yeah. Tentacker, you know, uh, it's, yeah, and it, yeah, it's, whoever has the most money will name it after you. Yeah. And so, you know, whew, and so they play it at another football team, just like Mile High, Marlins play at a, at a football stadium, which, you know, they can make it work. And of course, their record was 64 wins and 98 losses. So it was worse than the Rockies' record, but it still got them in sixth place in the NL East. You know, the Mets were in last place that year, so, you know. <laughs> um, so they play, let's see. Here's a fun fact. Because, of, because it was so hot in Miami, as it all usually is, the Marlins played in only 35 day games, home day games. Which is the fewest of the majors. So they had to play night games because of temperature, right? Right, because they don't want to play. You know, it's so damn, it's so damn hot. They don't want to play, which I don't blame them. Okay, so their first game, the first Marlins game, was on April fifth, nineteen ninety three, at home against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Right, forty two thousand three hundred thirty four fans welcomed Major League Baseball to Florida. And the Marlins won the game 6-3. The winning pitcher was Charlie Howe, H-O-U-G-H, who was a veteran pitcher who also played for the Dodgers in the 70s. Because I remember him being in, I think, the 77-78 World Series. So, you know, he, he won against his former team that day, and he was a veteran. He was in his 40s. He was, he was pretty old, man. I mean, you know. But it was good to have a veteran pitcher who knew what he was doing to be your starting pitcher for your first ever game. That was a good move by the, by the Marlins. And so some notable players, Gary Sheffield, you know, who was 24 King at the time. King Matt Wiggle. Mr. Sherry Sheffield. Yeah, Gary Sheffield. He only played 72 games, but, you know, he hit 292 with 10-01, 37 RBIs. But he was named... The starting third baseman on the '93 All Star game. Again, a good player. You know, you 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 know when you're on his team, you don't expect to start on the All Star team. But Sheffield, they're like, okay, you're the best third baseman, or at least by the voters anyway. You're going to be starting third baseman for the All Star team. Yeah, that's back when you had to. Uh, I remember being at Walmart and they had the MLB Hall of Fame ballot, so you put them in the box. Yeah, you know? that was before the internet kind of crap that we have now, where it's a popularity contest. Yeah, and then like another day, uh, Benito Santiago, who's the catcher, and he was on that 2002 San Francisco Giants team. You know, he did well, 108 hits. Uh, bad. Well, he didn't do that. He bat 230 with you know. 13 home runs, 50 RBIs, 10 stolen bases. Uh, Jeff Conine, Mr. Mr. Marlin, you know, 292, 
with uh, 12 home runs, 79 RBIs. Chuck Carr, the center fielder, he led the team in steals with 58. I never heard of this guy until now, you know. And then another noble name, Dave Magadan, who played baseball at uh, Alabama. You know, he was on the team. He was from Tampa, but he, so he's a Florida guy. So that's cool. Yeah, he's from Florida, and you know he played at Alabama, which parents are Auburn fan, but you know I mean, my parents are Auburn fans too. But still, it's like I respect Alabama. You know, if you it's a state school. If y'all can do good, absolutely do it. Yeah, I love Nick Saban, but I hate him because he coaches for the wrong school. I wish he coaches for the Orange and Blue. You know, but yeah. But it's cool because, like, hey, this is connected. Like, some of our listeners may remember Dave Magadan from his Alabama days. Absolutely. And not only that, he's also a cousin of Lupinella's. So who knew? <laughs> you know, he played he, he played third base, you know, I guess on the days that uh, Sheffield wasn't playing. Carl Everett, I remember him. You know, he played center field. I think he was a Red Sox. You know, that's another name I remember. It's starting to remember you know, he was from Tampa as well, so another Florida guy. So, yeah, he played he, – he was a rookie that year. He played with the Marlins, and then he played with the Mets, Astros, Red Sox, Rangers, White Sox, Expos, and Mariners. So, yeah, he had a good 14-year career starting with the Marlins, you know. And, of course, the pitchers, you know, we talked about Charlie Howe, the, the veteran. He was 45, played for the Marlins. And this poor guy who went nine nine wins, sixteen losses, and you know, he got that first win, but man, it kind of went downhill after that. And then Jack Armstrong went nine and seventeen; he was worse. The starter who led the team in wins was Chris Hammond, who went eleven and twelve. You know, and Brian Harvey was the reliever. He only he went one and five, but he saved forty five games. You know. He saved more than the Rockies uh, saved. And he also pitched in the All-Star game as well. So, you know, uh, and of course, Trevor Hoffman. For us in that. Yep. Two, he, for that year, he won two wins, two losses with a 3.28 ERA, and he saved two games. So two games out of his gondo sound. That's before he was the closer, though. Right. This is before he was a set closer. That was his rookie season too. He was he was lock tight closer. And here's the thing: he only played. He he appeared in 28 games with the Marlins in '93, and he saved two games. So his first two ever saves were with the Marlins. Before he went out west and was Mister Lockdown. Right, and later that season he got traded to the pod uh, the Padres. And that's where his career really took off. How many saves in a row did he get? It was an absurd number. I don't even remember. Because Eric Gagne beat him, I think. Yeah, but, Mr. Glass just came back behind him and got it last. Yeah, I wish I could remember that. This, but that you know, Trevor Hoffman. Oh, we'll have to make an episode about the best coach in baseball. Yeah, I mean, basically his start, you know, his Hall of Fame career, starting his Hall of Fame career was. Playing 28 games with the expansion Miami, uh, Florida Marlins in '93, before he got traded to the Padres, and that's where his crew really took off. You know, it's just mind blowing. I mean, I, I just didn't know he was just young, he was 25 at the time. I love how this keeps circling back to other things. The yeah. more we talk about this ball, the more we talk about baseball, the more it circles back and everybody intertwines with each other. Yeah, I love it. It's awesome. And then another name I remember, Rob Dead. He went one. Robin in, yeah. Yeah. In fifteen games he went. He was one. a giant and he was um who else was he with? Uh, I'm looking up now. Giant Ranger. Giant Giant he, So he started his career in ninety three as well. He pitched in nine games with the Rangers, and then they traded him to the Marlins. And he stayed with the Marlins. He was a member of their ninety seven World Championship. And he ended his career as a giant? Yeah, he ended his career as a giant in two thousand two. It says Yeah. That's the I can't. I can't tell you much about what he did before right. our time period because, for those who are at home, we're both right at thirty years old. Yeah. So, and his career took off when he joined the Marlins. I mean, like ninety-three did any saves because he wasn't closer. Then there was the other guy, a oh, Harvey. It was there. and so you know, in ninety-four he got fifteen, twenty-three, you know, thirty-five, 
35 and 97, and then took off 40, 37, 41, 45, and 2001, 43. He had 314 career saves in a 10-year career. You know, I mean, he got consistently good the longer he played, you know. Hey, Guru's the play. Yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, I'm not saying he's Hall of Fame worthy, but I'm saying, you know, you know he's one of the, not a lot of closers can get to 300 saves. You know, it takes a lot of work. So, you know, after the 93 season, obviously, looking back, comparing the two Marlins and the Rockies, Marlins won two World Series championships. In 97, they beat the Indians in seven games. Craig Council gets that hit, win the game seven. And of course, in 2003, with Dontrell Willis. I never forget. Oh, And Jack McKeon. Dontrell Willis and Jack McKeon. Those are two guys that baseball would be better if they were still involved. Yeah. And Which Dontrell Willis, at this point, he would have aged out of it anyway. But. Yeah. And, of course, Hall of Famer Pudge Rodriguez was on that 2003 team. They beat the Yankees, and I believe it was in seven games. Or it was in six. It was in six games. But either way. The 90s and the early 2000s were so great, Matthew. They really were. You know, we were just... These kids today aren't going to ever realize what we got to see. Back when we were just mildly annoyed at Bud Selig instead of being extremely mad at um, Rob Manfred. Oh, back when the commissioner didn't even matter. Like, right. I will never forget where I was at when like home run records happened, stolen bases records happened. So, you know, like... Yeah, you just don't... I mean, you just don't really see a lot of that these days. It's sad. I mean, sad. But, like, you know... And, of course, they... And of course, I think Huizinga was the owner of the team in '97. Of course, right after both the teams, the year after the both teams won the World Series, both teams their players got sold off and traded off, and they collapsed so bad. So, like, Marlins, what are you doing? And then in 2012, they moved to a new stadium, Marlins Park, and they changed their name from the Florida Marlins to the Miami Marlins, and they changed the color. They got rid of the teal and black. I hate that. Yeah, and they brought Jared Deuter in, and then he immediately fired uh, everybody. And, and he got rid of the cool home run statue. I don't care what anybody says, that home run statue was unique. It was ugly, but it was unique. Right, and, you know, I thought it was really cool. My biggest thing with Jared Deuter taking over that team is there was a uh, scout that was dealing with cancer, and he fired him while he was in the hospital. I remember that. And that that is my opinion. Derek Jeter changed 180% right there. 180 return, in my opinion, DJ. That was just not cool. Can't do that. You can't do that. If you're got to take care of that, man. It's been it, – you bought the franchise. I understand it. You bought the club. I understand that is – you're inheriting things that were not your problem. But you need to take care of people who have been with your club. Yeah. My man's got cancer. You can't fire that man. No. You need to find a way to pay for his treatments. Because that's just Because you're a major league ball club. That's a drop in the bucket to you. Right. That's bad PR. That is really bad PR. Firing somebody who's going through cancer. That is really 1, bad. 1,000%. Really bad PR. So and Derek Jeter hadn't done a great job managing that club. Well, I think he's. I think they got rid of him. I think he, they fired him or he resigned or something. He's no longer with the Marlins, as of sometime this year. Good for the Marlins. Yeah, better player than he was a executive. Keep handing out your gift baskets. <laughs> well, he's married now, so it's okay. So he's not. Dating he's probably still handing out gift baskets. And now he's on Instagram. Oh, is he was on the cramp? Yeah, he just started this week or last week or something like that. Y'all can't see the hand gesture I just made, but it's... He's like, whatever. Anyway, so... That's all i got to say about the Marlins, the Rockies, and the 93 expansion. Yeah, well, I, think, I think we pretty much covered it all. Gave our own personal opinions on a ton of it. Now, I will, I will mention one thing. If you want to read about the Colorado Rockies first year, uh, from their point of view, I have a book called Mile High Madness, A Year with the Colorado Rockies by Bob Kravitz. I got this book at the Book Liker Used Bookstore in Huntsville. It's a really good book, and it goes in depth about the players and how they felt and the games and all that good stuff. So if you want to read more about the 93 Rockies, 
from their point of view, you should read Mile High Madness. I don't know if... I'm sure somebody's written a book about the Manitoulin Marlins, but like, you know, at least if you want to read more about the Rockies, then this is the book for you. So. I feel like the Rockies are a more interesting story than the Marlins because they have never got there. But the Marlins have been there, what, three times? Two times. Two times. You know, but like the Rockies never gotten there and they started on an equal playing field. Right. You know, and they and they were more aggressive than the Marlins. I mean, like, you know. Maybe the Marlins still play because you notice the Marlins every time they've won a World Series, they all right, cool, we won a World Series, sell a team. Let's build a new team. Sell a team. Yeah. Both time both times they won a World Series. And both times they did that. And it's like the Rockies, you know. Once they win, fire sell. Cool, we got a World Series. Right, they don't care. They're like, well, we got a World Series, sell the team because we don't want to pay the salaries. You know, and the fans have responded. Fans don't want to come to these games at Marlins Park. They don't want to go. Well, no, it's called Lone Depot Park. Lone Depot Park now or something like that. But still, it's like, it's so stupid. It's like, why? You know, Marlins could have done a better Dude, job. People flock to Florida for spring training games. Yeah. But they don't flock to Florida for Major League Baseball games. No. I mean, and both of those teams are just dismal. Well, the yeah. only team doing worse than them in damn attendance is the Rays. No, Oakland. Oh, Oakland. Yeah, Oakland's worse. Oakland's averaging like seven thousand people a night. Fans don't want to come to the game. Fans don't come to the game when you're trying to move your team. Right. They do. Everybody knows that they're trying to move to Vegas, or at least actively. They, considering trying to move to Vegas. And they don't yeah, and all, the, all those fans are going over the damn Bay Bridge into damn San Francisco. They'd rather go to San Francisco and deal and with... And sit in a pretty pretty nice stadium. Me and Sonia went out there. Both all home, my girlfriend's name is Sonia. I'm going to marry her one day. But um, we're moving... But like, we went out to San Francisco. Yeah. And we had a great time at that ballpark. It's a great ballpark. It's Pat. a beautiful ballpark. ATT part where it was we got to great. see we got to see kayak Terry we got to see um, the dam you know it's it's a beautiful part we got to see all the World Series trophies yeah awesome. every other odd year they every other every other even year they even know the trophy it seemed like there for a minute we got to see all those like yeah. it's amazing I mean you know you know nobody wants to go to Oakland Coliseum because it's just it's not aged well. Um, the team is actively trying to Dude, move. They have the entire upper deck tarped off. Right. It's like, you know, Mount Davis because Al Davis wanted that. Because I can't believe you moved back to Oakland. Now they're I Vegas. wish I was his barber. I'd have made a lot of money for nothing. Yeah. Him and, well, him <laughs> and his son, Mark Davis. My God, man. Bowl cut city. Yeah. <laughs> but, but hell, let us quit venting about stuff. We, uh, I thought we pretty much covered what we were trying to get into tonight. Yeah, I would say so. And I really appreciate y'all listening to us. And as always, I'm Patrick. I got my comrade over here. I'm Matthew Carter. And we'll catch you next time on Baseball History 101. See you next time, guys. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while Rock and roll was being born Marijuana we would scorn So down on the corner the national pastime went on trial We're talking baseball Klazuski, Campanella Talking baseball The man and Bobby Feller The scooter, the barber and the nuke They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque Especially with Well, Casey was winning, Hank Aaron was beginning, one Robbie going out, one coming in. Kiner and Midget Goodell, the Thumper and Mel Parnell, and Ike was the only one winning down in Washington. I'm talking baseball, Klazuski Campanella, talking baseball, the man and Bobby Feller, the Scooter, the Barber, and the Duke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey and the Duke. Now my old friend, the bachelor, well he's 
before he was the Oklahoma kid And Cookie played hooky to go and see the Duke And me, I always loved Willie May Those were the days Well now it's the 80s and bread is the greatest And Bobby Bonds can play for everyone Roses at the vet, Rusty again is a Met, and the great Alexander is pitching again in Washington. I'm talking baseball, like Reggie Quees and Berry, talking baseball, Carew and Gaylord Perry, Seaver, Garvey, Schmidt, and by the blue. If Cooperstown is calling, it's no fluke, they'll be with Talking with 